When we get older, we have even more important questions. Like, will you marry me? Or when we have children, what are we going to name our children? That's always an important question. But I believe tonight we should look at the most important question that every single person, believer or non-believer, will have to answer. Who do you say that I am? Not who do you think I am, but who do you say that I am? This is the most crucial question to have to answer. Because like, unlike all of these other questions that I've talked about, or unlike any other question that we have had to answer throughout our entire lives, this question right here, the answer has eternal consequences. So we're going to read out of the uh, book of Matthew, Matthew 16, 13 to 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Heavenly Father, I just thank you tonight for our Bible study. I thank you for everybody here that uh, came to hear your word, Lord, and study your word, Father. I'm thankful for all those online that are logging in and, and, and hearing the message, Lord. I just pray that, that each and every one of us will, will go through our hearts and, and just think of who Jesus is to us, Lord. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So during this time, Jesus had a large following. And for the last couple of years, Jesus began more intently teaching and training his disciples. So Jesus was not only teaching his disciples who he was, but he was also showing them his identity and the truth of who he was. And he was building up their confidence, making sure of their commitment for this final exam question that he had for them. How many of us in school loved final exams? Well, this final exam that Jesus was giving had one question. And as I said, it had eternal consequences. When we read Matthew chapter 16, we see that it begins with Jesus pronouncing warnings against the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they had a corrupt view on the things of God. What's also interesting about this is that the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not like each other. And for them to be working together showed that they had a deep fear that was going on within the religious community. And for them to be working together showed that Jesus was a great threat to them. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees were following Jesus around and they were asking him for signs and, for, uh, and they you know, continued to try to test him as he was going from town to town teaching and preaching and they wanted to test him on different things. And so Jesus started condemning them and he started condemning their hypocrisy and their hatred for him grew even more at this point. And so Jesus began to caution the disciples against these false teachings. And in Matthew 16, as you go further down, Jesus used leaven in his teaching. 
And at that time, leaven in the Bible uh, is used as a metaphor for sin and corruption, which is exactly what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were. They were sinful and they were corrupt. We see another instance of leaven being used this way with Paul when he wrote in Galatians 5.9, he wrote, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so Paul is using this as a metaphor as well for the false teaching that was going on in the church. Because if you know, it takes just a little bit of leaven to make a whole loaf of bread rise. Just as it just takes a little bit of sin or a small amount of false teaching that has a widespread effect, not only in our walk with the Lord, but with those in our family, in our church, in our communities. So Jesus was warning his followers of the corrupt teachings of the religious leaders of the time because he knew that this would saturate their mind and their thinking. So up to this point in Jesus' ministry, Jesus' mission was moving towards its fulfillment at the cross and the resurrection. And those who embraced his mission would follow him, and those like the religious leaders who rejected his lordship moved further and further away from him. So if you look at a quick outline of chapter 16, it would be this, that Jesus began talking about those with no faith, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, even though they thought they had faith, then those who had little faith, as he talked about with his disciples, and then Jesus went on to the text that we have here where he begins to talk about saving faith. And so that's where we get to verse 13 here, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. And so a little bit about the region there. It was an area that was mostly populated by Gentiles. It was named by Herod Philip, who was Herod the Great's son, and they gave the name Philippi to it so it's not confused with another Caesarea, which we see in Acts 10.1, which is in a different part. This was also an area that had many idols and many false gods. There was even a temple built to the worship of Caesar there. And this area was important to the pagans because they had 14 pagan temples there to their false gods. And they served many gods, like Baal and Pan and so many others. So they had all of these temples and all of these places of worship of the false gods there. And so it was also approximately 25 miles north-northeast of Galilee. And according to the Jewish historian Josephus, it was at the foot of Mount Hermon. And so it was also important for the Jews because it was at the Jordan River, which was their life source. So it was very important for everybody. So it's not by accident that Jesus did this right here in this area. And so while he was there, Jesus asked his disciples this question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? I can imagine Jesus asking this question, and he's probably standing there with all of these temples and all of these places of worship for these false gods. And here he is asking his disciples, who do the people around me, that are around us and hearing me, who does everybody say that I am? If you notice, Jesus did not ask this question in the sanctuary. He did this in the face of the powers of hell, a place that he knew that was a place of worship of false gods and idolatry. 
And so also we see that Jesus used this phrase, son of man, which is used around a hundred times in the New Testament. And it was one of Jesus' favorite phrases that he used of himself. And using the son of man was showing him identifying with mankind. We also see the use of son of man used in Ezekiel in the Old Testament when God called Ezekiel son of man. We also see that phrase in Daniel, and we even see this phrase in Acts 7.56 with the first Christian martyr, Stephen, when he was being stoned to death. And if you remember, he said that the heavens opened and the Son of Man, Jesus, was standing at the right hand of God. So this was a term that's used a lot in the Bible, and so Jesus uses it here as well. There's a guy from uh, Dallas Theological Seminary in the Master's College, um, and his name is Dr. Greg Harris. And he calls this passage of Scripture a theological bombshell. And this is because this is a hinged chapter in the Bible that is eternally significant as this passage gives the true identity of Jesus the Messiah. And Jesus also did not ask this question because he didn't know who he was. You know, he leads us on a path of discovery, and that's what he was doing here. And that's why discovery is so important here at Woodland Church. It's very important, and that's why we have our discovery classes, so that we can help equip people to become passionate followers of Christ. And you can discover what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so Jesus was asking them this question even though he already knew what people were saying about him. You know, Jesus asked this question as an introduction to a much greater question that he would follow up with. So I don't want you to misunderstand this question that Jesus asked his disciples. He wasn't having an identity crisis, and he wasn't being egotistical. He wasn't saying, oh, don't, you know, who do these people say I am? He wasn't saying that. It wasn't that type of question. Because Jesus knew who he was. He knew he was God. He also knew what others were saying about him. But he wanted to hear what the disciples were hearing. And he wanted to hear that because he had a more important question for them. It's always funny when I, when I read this portion of Scripture and when Jesus says, you know, who do people say that I am? It always reminds me of my time on the police force as a police officer and sometimes I would pull somebody over and the first question they would ask me is, do you know who I am or do you know who I know? And I'm like, usually I would say, no, and I don't really care or should I, you know? <laughs> and I would just give them a ticket anyways. And that's, you know, somebody being egotistical or being arrogant. And that's not why Jesus was asking this question. I also remember reading a story about a man who was trying to get on a flight because the flight was supposed to be that he was supposed to be on was canceled. And so there was an, one airline agent there, and she was doing the best that she could to get everybody ready and everybody tickets to get on another flight from this canceled one, and she was probably frazzled about it. And then suddenly some angry passenger comes up, and he pushed his way up to the desk, and he slapped his ticket down, and he says, I have to be on this flight, and I have to be on first class. And the agent, agent replied, I'm sorry, sir. I'll be happy to try and help you, but I've got to be sure that all the folks ahead of you, you know, get their tickets in a timely fashion as well because they're waiting for their tickets as well. 
while the passengers were not impressed by this. He was, got angry and angrier. And so he asked loudly, so all the passengers behind him could hear, Do you have any idea who I am? And without hesitating, the gate agent smiled, and she grabbed her public address microphone, and she said, May I have your attention, please? We have a passenger here at the gate who does not know who he is. If anyone can help him find his identity, please come to gate 17. So Jesus wasn't asking his questions like that. It was not like that at all. And if you read through the Gospels, we know that Jesus asked many questions during his ministry. And the reason why he asked so many questions was to teach and to make people think. And then he would also sometimes answer a question with a question. And so that would lead people to try to find answers. Have you ever asked your parents a question and they say, well, what do you think about that? <laughs> but I'm so glad that God created us with a mind and that God expects us to use our mind to learn about him and to worship him. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. And we also read in uh, Philippians 2.5, Paul stressed this as well when he said, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So we as believers in Christ are instructed to have a Christ-like attitude or the mind of a Christ-like humility and service, and we're called to use our intellect that God gave us. And so when Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I am? He, of course, got so many answers of, the, of who the people around him thought that he was. You know, um, there's a street evangelist that uh, we've had on the Bob Duco show many times. And he's actually probably one of my favorite people to talk to. His name is Ray Comfort, and he's from New Zealand. So he has that New Zealand accent. And so... He has a YouTube, if anybody wants to go on and look at it. He, he's um, from Living Waters Ministry. And he goes around, he's a street evangelist, and he talks to people about God. And he asks people these questions. Who do you say Jesus is? And he gets so many different answers, as you can imagine. He goes all over the place. He's actually out in California now, so he gets a lot of crazy answers out there in California, as you can imagine. So if you think about today, in the time that we live in, we see so many different answers from people who are asked this question, who do people say Jesus is? You know, we'll hear answers like, well, Jesus was a really great guy, or he was a good moral teacher. And some say he was just a great teacher. Others may say they have no thoughts on Jesus whatsoever. And so I'm sure that, all of the, that the disciples heard so many other different uh, opinions and, and thoughts on Jesus as they were going and traveling through. And so we see with what the people in this passage were saying about G who Jesus is, that they were getting a picture of Jesus, but the answers that they were, that they were saying and that other people say, they don't get the full picture of who Jesus truly is. And so these are some of the answers that they got. Some say John the Baptist which I have no idea why they would think that he was John the Baptist reincarnated because Jesus and John ministered at the same time. So maybe they thought since he was preaching repentance as John did, maybe they thought that he had the spirit of 
John the Baptist was within Jesus. So I think it's kind of strange that some of them thought that, but that's what one of the answers was. And then also we see in Mark 6, 16, that Herod actually thought that Jesus was John the Baptist because he said, when Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded has come back from the dead. So Herod had a guilty conscience. And that's why he thought this probably. You know, it's hard to see clearly who Jesus is when we're in sin and rebellion against him. They said that some others said Elijah. Now this one I can, uh, I can understand why. Because I think Elijah was gone maybe 900 years now. And so this would have made a little bit more sense. That these pagans would have thought that Jesus was Elijah reincarnated since Jesus performed miracles like he did, and they had a similar ministry. The Jewish people also would have thought that this was Elijah because to them, he was one of the greatest prophets. But they would have also thought about what the prophet Malachi prophesied in Malachi 4-5 when he said, Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. So they probably thought that this was the time that God was bringing Elijah back. So Elijah, as we know, was someone that the Jewish people thought, and many still do think today that they thought that he was going to return because he didn't die. If you remember, he walked with God and then went up to heaven in a whirlwind. So this is why many thought that Jesus was Elijah that came back. Another one was Jeremiah. They said, some say you were Jeremiah. And so this they might have thought because he was also very popular among the Jewish people. And with many of the Jewish people, they thought that Jeremiah would return to earth before the Messiah came back and he would restore the ark and the altar to where it belonged. And so just as Jeremiah did also, Jesus had a passion and compassion for the people and anyone could sense this about him. They could see that in Jesus' heart, he had such a great burden for the city. And we even saw that Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. And he also wept for his friend Lazarus. And so that's exactly how Jeremiah was. He, he wept for the people of Israel. And so then they said, well, then, you know, some say you're also one of the other prophets. And they didn't give any more names. But so it seems that these people were trying to make Jesus out to be everyone else except who he truly was and that is God in the flesh. And it's because Jesus had so much in common with the prophets of God because he was sent into a hostile world to call for repentance and the people did not like to hear it. So this seems to be kind of the first Gallup poll, if you will. You know, with all these different answers about who Jesus was and who they saw and who they thought he was. And sadly, it's the same way today. We see that a lot today. We see a lot of pluralism in our society. People thinking that there's several ways to heaven and that out of all the several different ways to heaven, that Jesus is just one other way to heaven. And so there's no other way, as we will see, because Jesus is not just a way. Jesus is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. And no one can come to the Father except through him. And these are Jesus' words. We see them in John 14, 6. And this is why Jesus asked this next question to his disciples. 
You see, because all of these prophets that they talked about and they thought Jesus was, they were all great men. And they were all great men sent by God. But that none of them were worthy of worship. Only Jesus is. And so Jesus is not just another prophet. He's actually the prophet with a capital P that Moses spoke of when he said in Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. And then he said, You must listen to him. So Jesus is the prophet. He's the greater prophet. So Jesus is not just another God that the pagans were worshiping there. He is the eternal Son of God who became flesh and dwelt and tabernacled among us. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And just as Thomas declared when he saw the risen Christ in the flesh, we can say, my Lord and my God. He is our great God and he's our Savior. Jesus Christ, that's who he is. And so after asking the question and hearing what other people were saying around him, Jesus began to make it personal for them. He made it very personal for his disciples because then Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You see, all those other answers that they were giving gave Jesus a compliment, but they were all completely wrong on who he was. And so now it's time for Jesus' disciples to make a confession of faith after witnessing all that they heard and all that they saw what Jesus did. And so he did this all during his ministry, and so the disciples were watching him, and they saw, and they were walking around with him, and they heard what people were saying about him. So now it's time for the disciples to make that personal confession of faith. So Jesus is not asking the disciples, who they thought he was, or who they believed he was, he was asking them who they say, who they proclaim he is. He wanted to see if they were ready. He wanted to see, after all that he had seen, after all they seen and done with Jesus, if they were ready to make that public declaration that he is the Lord of their life and that he is, in fact, God in the flesh. So after he said that, Simon speaks up and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. How awesome is that? Peter is saying, you, Jesus, you and you alone are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are the only savior. And notice in Peter's proclamation that he says, you are the Messiah. He didn't say you are a Messiah. He said, you are the Messiah. Peter also said that the God who sent Jesus is not just one of the other gods that was being worshipped around there, but, Jesus, but Peter says that Jesus is the son of the living God. He's not just the God, but, one, the, but he's the one and only God. He's not just one of those other gods that they were worshipping around there. And so after Peter's proclamation of faith, Jesus tells how important this proclamation is by saying that Peter is blessed because he did not say what the others around him were saying about him, but that Peter was letting God reveal 
to him who Jesus was. And we too are so truly blessed when the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and reveals who Jesus is. And the Holy Spirit gives us the wisdom for us to better understand God through his word. And then I often wonder, you know, what the other disciples thought when Peter cried this out. I mean, did they look at him and say, really, Peter, where'd that come from? Or were they shouting along with him with joy and saying, and giving a high five and saying, yes, that's who he is. He is the son of the living God. He is the Messiah. He is the one that came to set us free. Kind of reminds me of that game show, Family Feud, when probably Peter said, they were like, good answer, good answer. You know, or maybe Jesus said, is that your final answer? <laughs> so when Peter answered Jesus and proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah, the son of the living God, it's kind of like a light bulb went off in his head. You know, have you ever had that moment when you're praying or you're reading God's word and it seems like you're having struggling with a difficult verse of the Bible um, or a prayer that you're kind of struggling with and then all of a sudden you pray and a light bulb kind of goes off in your head and you're like, oh yeah, now I understand what God was doing here or what God was saying here. And so that's the Holy Spirit that guides us into all truth about who Jesus is just like he did with Peter. And so Peter and the other disciples may not have known at that time the extent of Peter's answer to Jesus' question, but up to this point, they had seen Jesus perform miracles. He performed both nature miracles like calming the storm and creative miracles like feeding the multitudes as well as healing the lame and the sick. And he cast out demons. He raised the dead to life. And so they also saw that Jesus had compassion and love and forgiveness. And so the disciples knew that Jesus was much more than just a prophet, as the many around them had been saying. He was better than these prophets. He was God in the flesh. And God in his grace opened up the disciples' eyes so that they could see who he truly was. And so now I want to ask you, what about you? Who do you say Jesus is. Not who do you think Jesus is or who you want Jesus to be, but who do you say Jesus is? Who do you proclaim Jesus is? Why does it matter who we say Jesus is? It is because our correct belief in who Jesus is, our belief that he is fully God and fully man and that he died and he rose from the dead and that salvation is found only in Jesus Christ, is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. I can remember hearing a great saying one time. It said, every other religion teaches that man reaches up to God and takes a hold of him through their own effort. But Christianity is the only religion where God reaches down to man for us to have a relationship with him. Jesus died for us before we could do anything. God didn't wait for us to get things right. God sent his son, Jesus, to take our place on the cross because he knew that we could never get things right apart from Jesus. In our world today, we have so much uncertainty. But one thing that we can absolutely be certain of is that as Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I believe that this passage of Scripture is important because it affects at least three areas in our life. 
The first area of our life that it affects is it affects my belief and my faith. It affects my belief and my faith. Notice what the first thing Jesus asked his disciples. He said to them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? This account of Jesus asking his disciples this question is seen in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So all three of the synoptic gospels have this account of Jesus asking this question. And all of these questions, and this question that is asked in all three of these gospels, the entire gospel of John is the answer to that question. People have a lot of ideas and different beliefs about who Jesus is. As I said before, they say he's a good man, that he's a good teacher, he's a prophet. And sadly, a lot of people in our world today think he's a cuss word. And because of this, many people have been led or they're being led astray from who Jesus truly is. And because they do not know who the real Jesus is, they have a wrong concept of, the, of him in their mind. Many people do have re high regard of Jesus, but sadly they miss the mark on who he truly is. They do not see him as the Son of God, the Savior of mankind, the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the only way to heaven. In this day and age we live in, you can call Jesus a good man, you can call him a prophet, you can call him a good teacher, but the moment that you call him Lord and Savior, people start getting offended by that, and that's when you start getting a pushback on it. And so look at the disciples' answers to this question. You know, they knew what others were saying about him. This was not probably, this probably was not the only time that Jesus asked them this question because they had been traveling with him. And I love how the message puts it. It says, what are people saying about who the Son of Man is? So what are people saying? So as we're traveling along, what are people saying about who the Son of Man is? And so Jesus wasn't just saying, hey, right here where we're at in Caesarea Philippi, what are these people saying about me? Nope. as they were traveling together, Jesus was asking, or he kept asking, who do the people say that I am? And Peter's statement of truth became the foundation for the church. And it's in Peter's statement of truth about who Jesus truly is that we can have correct doctrine. The second way that we answer this question affects us is it'll change my behavior. When we know that Jesus is Lord and we can proclaim that with our mouth, it'll change our behavior. It's not, we don't have a free, we have a freedom in Christ. We don't have a freedom to do whatever we want to do, but we have a freedom to do what we ought to do, what God wants us to do. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. And in that freedom that is found in Christ, we can walk in intimate fellowship with him and be the kind of person that he created us to be. So our behavior will change and that we no longer are slaves to our sins because without Christ, we're just in bondage. And it's through Christ that we become a new creation. And we look at our sins just as they are, filthy rags. And when we're in Christ and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we begin to spend more time with him in prayer and reading his word. Our intentions and our actions and our desires begin to change and we begin to look at things way differently than we used to. And then the third way that we answer this question affects us in a way that it affects the outcome of our life. It affects the outcome of our life. We will live our life daily 
day to day, loving God and loving others. Meaning we will serve those in need in our church community. We'll serve our family and our friends in our neighborhoods and in our communities. And we won't do it begrudgingly. We'll do it with joy. We will live our life daily by being the salt and the light to a very dark world. We'll develop a deep compassion and love for each other. And in Matthew 16, 24, 26, as we go down, after Peter makes this confession of faith, Jesus blesses him for his confession of faith. And then Jesus talks about building his future church on this confession of faith that Jesus Christ is Messiah. And then later on in verses 24 to 26, Jesus begins to talk about the cost of being his disciple. Jesus said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you're trying to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? So this affects how our outcome of life is. You know, the cost of discipleship and following Jesus is a threefold process. Denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus. And then notice also in this verse that it says any of you or anyone. That means that anyone can be a follower of Jesus, no matter who you are, no matter what you've been through, and no matter what you're currently going through. Jesus, being a follower of Jesus, means that he has become everything to you. And even though it won't be easy, because Jesus said it's not going to be an easy path, we are promised that the Holy Spirit will indwell us, and he will give us the strength and the power to continue to be passionate followers of Christ, no matter the circumstances. So I have a book that I love, and I don't know if anybody's ever heard of um, Randy Alcorn, but he also has this huge book on heaven. It's a really big book. And this one is called, It's All About Jesus. And I love this book because it gives different quotes and different things about Jesus, what different people say and stuff like that. And so one of the things here it says is that Jesus has many other names and titles. Each reveals something important about him. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is our Savior, Redeemer, Creator, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is the second person of the triune God, the Son of God, the Son of Man, our Messiah. He's our judge, our advocate, our high priest, our mediator, our brother, and incredibly, he calls us his friend. He's the Lamb of God, the light of the world, the good shepherd, our bridegroom, and our example. He's not a way, a truth, and a life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The only means of access to the Father and to heaven. His dwelling place. He is the bread of life, the living water, the rest giver, the word of God, the prince of peace, the great I am. So tonight, I want to ask you a personal question. Who do you say Jesus is? If you don't know who Jesus is, you can know right now. Because there's a difference between knowing about Jesus and truly knowing Jesus. Knowing who Jesus is 
means that he's the Lord of your life and that we identify with him in his death and resurrection. And we take away our old life and our old self dies with him. And that we repent of our sins and we turn away from them and that, he, that we trust him and that we accept his forgiveness and that we seek to know him intimately daily through the power of the Holy Spirit in prayer and reading of his word. If you've never surrendered your life to him, I ask you to do that right now. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, God saved you by his grace. He saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast. Our salvation is not based on what we do, but what Jesus did on the cross. Knowing who Jesus is so that we can answer the questions, who do you say that I am? Starts with faith in him. And then it's a continual relationship daily with him through daily prayer and reading of his word. So I invite you tonight to not just simply know about Jesus, but to make the facts that you know about Jesus and turn them into a personal reality. I promise you, your life will be completely changed. So if you're asking yourself tonight, how can I truly know who Jesus is? The Bible says in Romans 10:9, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so if you'd like to know more information about how to know Jesus and how to have a relationship with him, you can email us at info at woodland.church and we would be glad to send you more information on that. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you again for, for this precious gift of life that we have, Lord. And Lord, you say that we're, when two or three are gathered in your name, that you're in the midst of us. And I thank you so much, Lord, that you are here with us tonight as we read and study your word, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for our church and for the leaders that you've given us. I thank you for allowing us to come here tonight and to feed on your word with each other. I thank you, Lord, for those who've been watching online tonight. And I pray that anyone who does not truly know who you are and cannot answer the question of who do you say that I am, I pray that they will dig into your word and find out who you truly are. I pray for all of those who need healing tonight, Lord. I ask you to comfort those who need to be comforted, give strength to those who need strength, and give peace to those who need peace, because you, Lord, are our perfect peace. And I pray that we leave with grace and peace in our lives, as we leave here tonight, and that everything that we've learned tonight, I just pray, Lord, that it'll sink into our hearts and our minds, and that we will be the light to a dark world here, Lord. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Again, uh, if you'd like to uh, find more information about what we spoke about tonight, you can email info at woodland.church. You can also give online. Uh, you can go to woodland.church. Or you can also go to our app, which is Woodland Mobile, uh, Woodland Church Mobile. And you can also text the numbers on the bottom of your screen. You can text Woodland Church, one whole word there. And I thank you all tonight, and have a great night.